biblical worldview. And uh, I think how I've decided to address the issues is possibly a little different than, than I had first anticipated. But uh, just a little review from last week. Uh, what is a worldview? Our definition of a worldview is the lens through which each person views the world. And I think that's the simplest definition of a worldview. It's the most basic concept of a worldview. There's a lot packed into that idea because what is this lens and what does that even mean that we're looking through a lens? But remember that each person wears a lens to view the world. And so I showed you this image here. This is just the world. And uh, when you see the world, we're looking through our own little pair of glasses. And so there's a pair of glasses that sit and we look through lenses. The thing is, is that no one's lenses see things exactly perfectly crystal clear, but instead our life experiences, philosophies, concepts, just anything that we know has modified how we're looking. And the reason for that is because of sin. And sin has affected the way that we see all things. And so we need to bring our lenses into adjustment with reality because reality is a real thing, really exists. And so just because people see the world differently doesn't mean they're all true, right? No, what we need to do is look at the world properly through a biblical worldview. So what is a biblical worldview? The biblical worldview is when the Bible becomes the lens through which a person views the world. And again, that's very simple. We want to view all things in the world. And so remember, when we say world, I mean, we mean all things contained in the world, visible and invisible, all things, your own heart. How should you see that through the lens of the Bible, right? This building, right? This journal, we see it through the lens of the Bible. What does that mean? It's really here. It's, it's not not here, it's here. Things are true and things are false. We have to see all things through the lens of Scripture. That's our goal. Now, we have to admit before we move into this that our lenses need adjustment to bring them into a proper view. Otherwise, we're not going to make any attempt to change any of our thinking. But remember that Scripture says, Romans 12, 2, be renewed in your thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? So we need to be transformed in our minds because our minds were broken by the fall. So we've got to bring these things into adjustment. How do we do that? By the Spirit's help and by the Word of God, right? And so it, it, we do that, but we have to ask some questions that give us insight into, well, how do I view the world and uh, how do other people view the world and in evaluating how we all view the world differently, maybe we can start to make sense of where things are not right and we bring things into adjustment to where they ought to be. So some basic worldview questions are, how did we get here? Like, where did all this stuff come from? The planets, the stars, human beings, animals. How did we get here? Second, what's the problem? Everybody knows there's a problem because things are not perfect. So why is that? Next, what is the solution? And then finally, what happens when we die? So many answers to even just these four questions. A lot of people, when they're doing worldview analysis, actually either have seven or nine questions. We've kind of boiled it down to just four for simplicity's sake. 
But there's a lot of questions to ask about how someone views the world, how we view the world. I think in asking just these four questions, though, it, it helps us to at least set us on a course for thinking the way that we should and starting to evaluate our own thoughts and the thoughts of the people around us. Because, why, why is this important? We want to be thinking like we ought to think. Is that the way the world around us operates? I want to think the way I should think. And maybe the thoughts I'm having are wrong. Well, in the most part, the world around us doesn't think that way. They think whatever thoughts I'm having are the right thoughts. And whatever feelings I'm having are the right feelings. But what we think is, well, maybe that thought is not correct. We have a standard to judge our thoughts to. We have a standard to judge our emotions to. We have a standard to judge all things by, and we just have to be careful to do so. Now, I, I want to I cover some concepts here. Uh, and if you're, you're a note taker, there'll be a couple of things you probably want to take notes on uh, uh, right here. There are two different types of societies. We live in a society. We don't not live in a society. We live in a society. There's two different types of societies. One is a monolithic society, the other being a pluralistic society. A monolithic society would be one where there's one overarching primary worldview of the society. It doesn't necessarily mean each and every individual, but overarching, there is one primary worldview for that group of people. A lot of people will reference China, for example, as the masses of the population have a particular worldview. That's a, it's more monolithic. I think it's kind of like a sliding scale, really. It's not purely monolithic. Not everybody in China has the same worldview. But if it's a sliding scale, it leans toward a monolithic society. There's an overarching worldview. Now, a pluralistic society would mean there are competing or coexisting worldviews at play. That means that you take a, just go to Walmart, for example, in whatever city you want to go to, and take a hundred people and ask them the four worldview analysis questions and see how many worldviews you come up with. Are you going to get a monolithic answer or more of a pluralistic answer? Pluralistic. The reason being, we live in what kind of society? A pluralistic society, not a monolithic society. Now, there was a time in which... Uh, the beginnings of the nation were more monolithic. And it seems to be the case that the sliding scale has tipped and now we are pushing this direction. So if a monolithic society is here and a pluralistic society is here, uh, kind of tipped this way, and then now the scales have bloop. And so now, all of a sudden, Christians are crazy. And biblical standards are not the norm and so we've seen this drastic drop in all these different worldview explosions. And it's not that they're new, understand. But it's that generations are rising up who no longer are integrated at an early age into a biblical worldview. That's not the norm. It's not the standard. So for many of you, if you were raised, in particular, if you were born and raised in the South, in the Southeast, United States, you probably have a really high chance of being raised with a biblical worldview, at least generally speaking. 
But if you are not, your chances go down from there. If you were raised in the United States, you even have a higher percentage of many other places on the planet of being raised with a biblical worldview. So it being the case that we live in a pluralistic society, this is what has happened, is that you move from a pluralistic society and what you end up with are not pure groupings of we are this and we all stay in this group and we all believe this thing. Good, you guys believe your thing. Well, we all believe this and we all stay together and we all believe this thing. And that's not really how it works. It's I grow up in a pluralistic society and I hear a little bit of this worldview and I hear a little bit of that worldview and I hear a little bit of this one and whatever sticks, sticks. And so I become, as we talked about last week, a syncretist, which means I just blend and blur together all these different concepts and nothing even really makes sense. And that is our society that we live in. Most of us were raised in that society. And so we need to be careful that the things we think are biblical thoughts and the way that we view the world is biblical. And if you can be honest with yourself, there are times when we find ourselves still bringing ourselves into adjustment. There's a pull for me to try to understand this thing the way the world does because, man, that sounds good to me. I don't know why that sounds good to me, but I like the way the world understands that. And then you just feel this pull, but I can't believe that. I can't believe that. That's not a biblical worldview. And so then you have these groups of people who want to remain Christian while not holding to a biblical worldview. And you get things such as progressive Christianity and deconstruction. And uh, let's reevaluate everything we've ever believed because no longer does our worldview maintain a biblical worldview, but we still want to be Christian. So how can those two things coexist? So you, you have to start from scratch. See which things you can keep and what things you need to modify, change. Okay, so we live in a pluralistic society, no doubt about that. Uh, we are surrounded by syncretists. Uh, a lot of people will tell you, I am definitely this. I believe this. Where did we come from? They have an absolute answer. But, you know, generally, it seems to be, and it's just my experience. I have no data for this but it seems to be that most people are not all that settled on their answers. It's like, I think probably this. Oh, I think this, or I don't know, I don't think too much about it at all. That's probably primary right there. I don't really care. I don't care about all this. I care about me, and I'm here right now, and I'm hungry, or I want to watch TV, or I want to do something else that pleases me. So get out of my way, because you're not pleasing me. And so, what do we do? How do we operate? How does a church operate in a world like that? With difficulty, that's how. And so, what we find is that more and more churches are seeing that it's difficult, and they bend so that it's not so difficult. More and more Christians are saying, I will bend so it's not so hard for me to live in this world. But we can't do that. We can't give in. Okay, so we're going to use lots of uh, words tonight that end in a particular way with ism. And so before we begin looking at isms, just know that ism for our purposes tonight simply means a system of thought. Anything ism is a system of thought, okay? Uh, so 
uh, I just say that because I've had conversations with people in the past and you throw out isms and they say, I don't know about all these isms. What, is all the, what are all these isms? Uh, all, all ism means is you have to, s- you, we, we use words to communicate, right? So we have to have words and when you actually break down these isms, they're like, oh, well, okay, when you look at the word, I guess the parts of the word do make sense. So we're going to kind of do that a little bit tonight. And we're going to look at some major worldview categories um, as we look. But before we do, there's one ism uh, we need to address, and that is secularism. I put a little hyphen there just so you could see the ism, okay? Secularism. What is secularism? Um, uh, R.C. Sproul's uh, conversation about secularism is, is super helpful. Um, You can watch most of his stuff for free on worldview analysis. But anyway, uh, he talks about secularism and and he explains it this way. And and, uh, in in Latin, there are two different words for world. Okay, secular and mundus. And so secular uh, means world, but it doesn't mean world like the physical earth. You divide earth into time and space. And so it's not earth in sense of space or the material earth, it's the world in sense of time. And so if you are a secularist, you, you are holding to the views of the age. Okay? The views of the world as it stands, that's what I believe. That's what a secularist means, at least at its root. Okay? So a secularism means the way things are understood at this time. I'm a secularist. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, and I'll tell you some things of what I really believe. So it's more of an overarching concept, secularism. If you say the secular world, we make a contrast between the sacred and the secular, right? And so the sacred or the religious world is a little different than the secular world in that we believe in this, and they believe in all of that. That's a secular world. Okay? All right. So I've broken... The, I don't even know if these are the, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure these are not the best words to use. I don't, I don't always pick the best words to use. But we're going to break them down into two categories, okay? The supernatural worldviews and philosophical worldviews, okay? I was going to call them supernatural worldviews and natural worldviews, but then that messed some things up down the line. So we're going with supernatural worldviews versus... Uh, philosophical worldviews, and they are different. Now, not all philosophical worldviews reject the supernatural world. Most of them do. But they are philosophical in nature. Okay? The supernatural worldviews are going to be religious worldviews, whereas philosophical worldviews are going to be just that, ways of thinking, philosophy. Okay? I think you'll get it. Um, Uh, We're not going in depth into these tonight. This is an overview of these things um, because what we're going to do in the next, the coming weeks, I I was only going to take four. And as I looked at it, um, there are just so few and it's not really going to take all that much of our time. And so we're just going to look at the primary worldviews that we may encounter, okay, which is just a little bit more than four, but we're going to just kind of look at them all and, and, uh, do an overview, okay? But uh, we're not doing the huge overview tonight, of, or detailed overview, I should say. We're just kind of doing an aerial view tonight of what are in these categories. So in the supernatural worldviews, we find theism, 
deism, polytheism, pantheism, panentheism, animism, and paganism. What in the world are all of those isms? Well, generally, theism uh, is a personal God. Christianity is theistic. Okay, it's a general category. But so is what other religion? Theistic. What? Islam and? Yeah, Judaism. Yeah, exactly. Those are the big three, right? And they are theistic. There is a personal God. Uh, then there is deism, where there is a God, but it is an impersonal God. Um, people use the whole watchmaker analogy where there's a God who made a watch and wound it up and then set it and then just let it run, right? That's how God operates in a deistic world. Um, some of the founding fathers who some attribute to Christianity are actually deist and not theist. Uh, okay, so polytheism, poly meaning many, and then theism referencing theos from the Greek, which is God, so many God. Um, things such as Hinduism, the ancient Greeks and Romans were polytheists, right? Uh, Mormons are polytheists, right? They believe in an infinite number of gods. You can be a god, right? How exciting. Pantheism. Uh, pantheism is uh, that prefix pan, just meaning all, theism, God, all God. Uh, God is an impersonal force that is everything. Um, kind of like the force from Star Wars, okay? Kind of something like that. It's just an impersonal force that is God. And it, it's everywhere. Um, Buddhism, for example. Panentheism is a little different. Um, God is everything, but also in everything. Uh, it's a little different. It's all, God, uh, all in God is what that means. Um, in a sense, in this world, it's like God is dependent on the world for existence because it's part of him. Uh, someone said, it's like God is a whole body, but God is the head, really, and the world and the universe is his body, and so if something happens to his body, it happens to him. Okay? Yeah, I know, it's weird. Animism is going to be kind of tribal religions. Uh, all things possess a spiritual essence. Animism, from the best I can understand, comes from the idea of the animation of nature. So meaning that nature, everything around us, na so think of like Native American uh, uh, tribalism um, or even African tribalism uh, where, where things like trees have a spiritual essence or being or there's a sun god or things like that, right? Like everything you see has a spiritual presence to it. Uh, that's animism. Uh, and then paganism was really just a worship of nature itself and other deities attached to it. Uh, Wicca, for example, is pagan. Uh, pagan, I found, I didn't know the root of the word pagan, but it really just means country dweller. So uh, 
But you get the idea, don't you, is that those people that were far removed from the center city came up with their own religions, right? And so you either were part of the uh, city center, which had the major religions, or you were outside of it. So you were called pagans, right? Because you're a country dweller. You do country stuff. You don't know anything, right? So that's the idea. Okay, so those are supernatural worldviews because it's very spiritual, isn't it? All, all, all these are very spiritual in nature. So let's look at then um, philosophical worldviews because philosophical worldviews are very different than supernatural worldviews. So uh, some philosophical worldviews, the first being naturalism, uh, which also materialism and humanism kind of fall into. That's why I kind of put them there together. Naturalism, materialism, humanism, kind of all working together. In this, only nature exists. Only the material universe exists. There is no supernatural world. There is no spiritual reality to anything. Only nature is what is real. There is nothing else. There is no higher meaning than nature itself. That is naturalism at its core. Uh, it is, because we're going to talk about atheism next, it is a positive acceptance of what is. Okay? Because atheism is a negative, it is a rejection of what is. Okay? So atheism simply says God does not exist. It's a negative belief. Now, what does belief for the, what, or what does exist for the atheist? Well, I don't know. That's a different conversation. But all I'm saying is God does not exist. So atheism at its core is a, a, a belief of refutation that I just, I don't know much. But what I do know is this. God does not exist. That's an atheist. So an atheist can be, in a sense, a humanist as well or a naturalist. Um, but it's, there's, a, there's a negative side to an atheist, where there's, whereas there's a positive side to the other beliefs. Does that make sense? Um, they would say, just as a helpful idea here as we're thinking about it, they would say people created God. God did not create people. Right? And that kind of, that gets you to it. Um, they are generally materialist. However, some believe... It, which is, uh, uh, you know, I don't know that it is odd. It, the whole thing is odd. So maybe it's all odd. Some believe in the, the, the world of ghosts and spells and mediums, but yet are atheists. So they acknowledge that there is a, a spiritual realm. And they're not saying it's unknowable. But what they do know about it is this. God does not exist. Right? That's the way they see the world. Don't you get it, though? That's the lens that they see the world through. And then agnosticism. Agnosticism is very common. I'm sure there are a lot of agnostics at Tech who actually say, I'm an agnostic. Again, I don't know much, but what I do know is this. <laughs> I'm an agnostic, and it's funny because agnostic <coughs> means no knowledge. 
That's what the word means. Ah, prefix ah, right? And gnosis, which in Greek is knowledge, no knowledge. That's what the word means. I have no knowledge, but what knowledge I do have, which is none, is that I don't know much about anything. That's an agnostic. So <laughs> they would say literally, it is impossible to know if God exists or not. I don't know. What I do know is that you can't know either. So who are you to tell me who God is and what he believes and what he's calling me to do? Right? So I don't know, but as long as you say, I think there is a God that exists and I think that he is the God of the Bible and I think that only salvation is found in Jesus Christ, then you say, and that's, that's what I believe. And then this agnostic, being a postmodern that he is, will say, well, that's great. Good for you. Good for you. I don't believe that, but that's good that you believe that. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, we, you know, we're all just on a search for something. We're not really going to find it out, but good for you. And that's the way they view the world. So when we present a Christianity that is not one that can be lived in harmony with other concepts, but is, uh, I'm going to have to admit my brain blank here. I have some sickness going on and my brain isn't working for me. What's the word I want? Hmm. Let's think about it. It is the only option. There are no other options. Exclusive, thank you. It's easy word, see? It is exclusive. There is an exclusive nature to the gospel that the world doesn't like. And so when you present an exclusive gospel in a pluralistic society, they say, no, we're not having that. We want to live in harmony with our pluralist society. You know who else was like that? Rome. Ancient Rome. All these gods, it's good. Add another one, that's fine. You want to be Jewish? Be Jewish, all you want. But you need to be Jewish and also worship the emperor. You need to be Jewish and not say that all this is wrong. You can't do that. There is no exclusive claim to truth. It's all. Uh, they were postmoderns before postmodernism was a thing. Because it was all relative. Really. It was all true at the same time, even though they contradicted one another. It's not anything new. It is not anything new. We've just put new labels to it. So, all I want to do with our time that we have left is, in a very simple way, I thought it would be wise for us uh, to just answer the basic worldview questions from Scripture tonight and um, just make sure that as we evaluate some of these other worldviews, that we're having this as our basis. We know these are the correct answers. We have some scripture to back that up. It's very obvious, okay? There's nothing challenging here in what I'm about to say. But we are creating a base for moving forward for analysis of these other worldviews, okay? So we're going to answer the questions from a biblical worldview. And it's so simple to us, isn't it? It's so simple to us. But is it simple to all these people we've just been talking about? 
do they accept all the answers that we're about to give? Do they accept that when we answer these, that these are the only right answers and there are no other right answers. These are the only ones. We have the truth. We are the only ones that have the truth. There is only one truth. There are not many truths and this is it. And so everything comes back to this. Okay, so let's answer these four questions. I know that you know the answers, but let's just look at them tonight and um, refresh our minds with some scripture to reinforce them. And then next week as we begin looking at and contrasting these other worldviews with a biblical worldview, we've already covered this, okay? So that's, that's what I'd like to do tonight. So let's answer these questions. Okay, so how did we get here? I, th- I think there's a, a pretty obvious answer to that. We got here by God himself. You can put that next slide up, Caleb. Uh, we got here by God. Uh, what is the problem? Well, sin's the problem. What's the solution? The gospel's the solution. And what happens when we die? Well, either heaven or hell. Pretty basic, right? I mean, pretty simple concepts to us. To us. Do you remember yourself when this was new information? If this has never been new information then you were raised in a biblical worldview and you didn't meet a whole lot of people that had a different opinion than just you and your family. That's all you ever knew and that's all any of your friends ever knew and that's the only thing you were really ever exposed to. But for a majority of the rest of the world, this is not how they were raised with how did we get here? God put us here. So let's just look. I've answered these questions in a different way when we do our our simple gospel presentation with four words. Does anyone remember those four words? No, faith is not one of them. Fall is one of them. Redemption is another one of them. Yeah, you're halfway there. (laughs) Glorification's the last one. What's the first one? Creation. Creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Creation, fall, redemption, glorification. That's everything. Creation, fall, redemption, glorification. That's it all. That's that's all of it. And we can answer all those with that, right? Except glorification doesn't quite work because not everybody is glorified. Only some. How? By faith in Christ. Why? Because of sin. Okay, so just briefly, let's look at uh, them with, uh, with a couple of passages, okay? So first question, how did we get here? We got here by God. Um, these are the past, some of the passages we can use to reference that fact. It's not what we think. It's a fact. There's not other answers for how we got here. God created us and put us here, Right? There are some on a debating side of this. Well, yes, okay, God put us here, but here's how he did it in the process by which humanity went through to evolve into such a creature. However, it's my understanding that when God created Adam, he created Adam as a man, just as when he created a fig tree, for example, he created a fig tree. So um, when he created Adam, he didn't create him as an embryo. 
He created him as a man. And when he created our universe, he created it as a mature universe with the appearance of age, just as Adam, when he was created, had the appearance of age, even though he did not. It's a very simple answer. Uh, we, we derive that belief from Scripture. But the whole idea being this is that how did it all get here? God put it here. And by faith, we believe that he put it here. By faith, we believe that. It is written, yes. And you can have the knowledge, great. But it is by faith that we believe that to be so. Okay? Uh, just two passages I'd like to read for you. I do have them on the screen. John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. How many things were made that weren't made by God? Not a thing. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Visible and invisible? Visible and invisible? Yes, all things. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before things and in him all things hold together. Now, today, how do all things hold together? By him and his power. He is holding this universe together even in this moment. And so if he were to cease holding this universe together, it would cease to be held together. He is the active agent in creation, not only when it came about, but still today. Everybody believe that? Everybody in the world believe that? Do most people in the world believe that? No. They have a completely different view of how we all came to be. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is sin. That happened at the fall. We have several references here uh, that you could look at. Genesis, all of Genesis 3. Uh, Romans 1 has some great uh, uh, parts to it in reference to this, 18 through 32. 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 5. Uh, there's a couple that I, I would like to actually read for you. If you want these, I can send these to you, okay? I see some people frantically writing. I can send these to you if you'd like them, okay? Uh, I just want to read two. First being Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature. By nature? How can that be? By nature? Why is our nature sinful? That's right. There is a reason, isn't there? Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yes, sin came into the world through Adam. And sin spread and that became our very nature. Our very nature is now sinful. That is the problem. Is that only the problem with humanity? What else is broken because of sin? Everything. 
everything, for even the earth itself, even the earth itself. And you feel that too, don't you? You know that too. Look at the world around you. You not only see that there is a God who created it, you know there's something wrong. How can you deny it? And so everyone comes up with their own answers and they create a way to view the world to make sense of it. That's our worldview. We need to make sure that the way we understand things is through the lens of Scripture. Okay, next. What's the solution? If sin is the problem, what's the solution? We'll just stop sinning. That's the solution, right? Oh, that's, maybe that's not the solution. There's lots of passages we could look at to the gospel solution. Why? Because the Bible is all about the gospel. So these are just a couple. There's a lot. Uh, the couple I would like to read for you are Romans 5, 8, and 9. It's the first one. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were in that, that condition of deserving nothing but his wrath because of disobedience, Christ died for us. In that condi- while we were in that condition, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, now that we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, from him, uh, saved by him from the wrath of God. What are we saved from? Are you saved? We, we like to say that. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. What are you saved from? The wrath of God. You're saved from God. You're saved from his wrath for the punishment that would come upon you because of your sin. God made a way. God fixed the problem. So how is that solution credited to me? I want the solution. Does everybody want the solution? Careful with your answer. No, they don't want the solution. Why is that? Because they can't even see the problem. Sometimes we lose sight of the problem, don't we? And we kind of despise the solution at times. Because our hearts are not perfect. That's the next step. We haven't got there yet. One day it will be. So next, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. How do I get that? For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this is not even of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You didn't even do it. Because if you did it, you'd have something to boast in. But your boasting is removed because God has done this. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. We are his workmanship. In other words, he crafted us. He made us. For what? We've been created in Christ Jesus for, to do what then? We're not immediately zapped to heaven, but no, we're left here to do what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be seeking out good works because we have salvation, not to get salvation. Good works don't save us. They accompany our salvation, however, right? Okay, final question. And we'll be done for the night. Final question is this. What happens when we die? How many answers do you get to this question? Wow. Even for Christians, do you know that? Where I will say those who call themselves Christian. Do you, does anybody, just out of curiosity, who knows someone who calls themselves a Christian but would not answer this according to Scripture? Yep. Anybody else? Yep. 
yeah, okay. There are others who didn't want to raise their hand but nodded their head at me, okay, or made eye contact, okay. <coughs> we know them, don't we? Uh, my grandmother, who calls herself a Christian, also believes in reincarnation. Just because I like the Bible and this. You call that? Huh? Syncretism. Taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and mushing it together to make your perfect mix. You know? That's the religion I like. We have to be careful. Right? We have to be careful that we don't do these things ourselves. Now, we're answering basic questions, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty, we like to do this too, and you know it. So we have to be careful. Okay, what happens when we die? Either heaven or hell. A lot of Christians, there's a big debate right now. Does hell even exist as a tradition in the traditional concept, right? Uh, there's a big conversation. This is a big part of the deconstructionist movement. What is hell? I don't think it's that. I don't think it's this concept. That's too mean. God wouldn't be mean. God is not mean. God is love. So what is hell then? And we redefine it according to our advanced, you know, knowledge as human beings. We understand it better than those primitive people who wrote the Bible. Heaven or hell, that's the answer. That's what happens when you die. You go to one or two places. That's what scripture presents for us. There is not a third option. So let's look at John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Do you see in this text more than two places that people might go? Do you just see two? There is one called here the resurrection of life. That's good. I want that one. I want life. Give me life, please. The other is resurrection of judgment. Bring me in to the holy God's court and judge me? No thanks. I don't want the judgment. I want the life. Give me the life one. How do you get that one? By faith in Christ, the scriptures tell us. Next, Romans 2, 6 through 8, and it says, and he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Tell me, do you see more than two options? There are either those who obey the truth and they are given eternal life, and there are those who do not obey the truth and they are given wrath and fury. As we take these concepts throughout scripture, we identify these places. This place of eternal life, the resurrection of life, that is heaven. And the place of wrath and fury, the place of judgment, is hell. These are the two places that people go when they die. For those who have faith in Christ, eternal life is given to them in heaven. To those who do not have faith in Christ, wrath and fury is, there, though, is theirs in a place called hell. Okay? This should have been very basic to you. But what I'm hoping is that in these simple answers that we're going to take with us and as we evaluate some other worldviews, we're going to be able to interact and, and maybe possibly understand the world around us a little better is my hope. That's my goal. That we might understand the world around us a little better 
And as we understand them, what are we able to do? We're able to have conversation with them and we can kind of get in their mind a little bit so that we can see, oh, I, I get it. You're seeing it this way. Let, let, let me tell you how what I believe is different than what you believe. And we can actually better and more clearly explain to them the gospel when we understand where they're coming from. So we get in their shoes for a second. We don't wear their shoes, right? But we see where they're coming from so that we can say, we can have, honestly, sympathy on them because we care that eternal life is not theirs unless they have Jesus Christ. And we care, we actually care. And so this is why we enter into this conversation at all because we care about lost individuals. And so we want to learn about the world around us and its influences. But you know what this also does for us? Is it helps protect us against those influences. I know what that is. I already know that philosophy. You can't tell me that's right. That is a, a worldly philosophy that you're trying to attach to the Bible. And I know that that's not true. How do I know that? Because I've looked into that. I know what you're saying. That's not found in the Bible. That's found outside the Bible. You're trying to put it in here. And I know that that's not right. And so it helps protect us from these concepts that the world wants to throw and integrate into what we know is true. So it helps us on many different fronts. So three weeks, and uh, I don't know what we can accomplish in three weeks of looking at that, but we'll accomplish something hopefully helpful in these few weeks together, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together and for this conversation that we're having uh, about worldviews. And uh, I just, I pray that, that this is beneficial to us. Uh, we want to be thinking Christians. We want to understand the world around us. We want to be more solidified in our beliefs. And sometimes when looking outside of what we definitely don't believe, it helps solidify what we do believe. And so I, I pray that you would help us in doing that, all to your glory. We know Paul, for example, uh, understood some of his pagan environment because he could even quote their philosophers back to them. And so I just pray that you would help us in the same way, just try to understand the world around us so that we can share the gospel with them in a way where our hearts are actually are just crying out to them. And that we can see for a second that the world they're looking at is, is so not the world that you've created. But we want them to see. And so I just pray that you would use our efforts, bless our efforts in this, and I pray that it's all a blessing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.